Welcome to the Wake Park Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Wake Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We do everything we do because we believe life with Jesus is better. If you like what you hear, we'd love to have you swing by and join us for worship. We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and have other groups and ministries on various days of the week. You can learn more by going to wakeparkchurch.org. Today we have a scripture reading both from the New Testament and the Old Testament. Um, we'll start with Genesis 1, 26 through 31. So in the front of the Bible, there's not even a page number. So I guess page number one. <laughs> um, then God said, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and all, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Our second reading is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, on page 800 of your pew Bible. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed by his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Good morning. Great to have you today. Uh, we, are, we are coming off a series where we talked about and actually did some training in evangelism. And we're going to move right from that into, I guess we'd call it a sequel maybe. Um, where we're going to help to equip you. I know a lot of you had said, you know, we have a hard time answering some of the questions or one of the reasons that we don't share Jesus more is that we have a hard time 
asking, or answering the questions that people have about faith. And so what we're trying to do is through both this sermon series and also on the website or actually on our YouTube channel, we put together a number of videos that will help you to answer some of those questions. Um, last Friday, uh, I wasn't here last week, by the way, I was in Washington with Walt um, but, and having a great time at Connor and Alex's wedding. Um, but I know you guys did great because I got up, by the way, I was on, so I was on the West Coast. And so I got up at 8 a.m. and watched the uh, live stream. And then at 10 o'clock, I turned on the Cowboys and watched the football game. So at 10 o'clock in the morning, it was weird. Anyway, uh, we put on the website or on the YouTube channel a bunch of videos that will help you to answer some of the questions that your friends have about faith, Jesus, about Christianity. Um, and we've got a bunch more in the works, so we'd love for you to go and check those out. But also, be here, or if you're watching on live stream, make sure you're paying attention because we're going to do the best we can to answer some of those questions. And if you have questions, that, that come up as you're sharing Jesus with people that you know, or if there are questions that you've struggled with, go ahead and email me, and, uh, and I'll address them either in person, or we'll make a video, or we'll try to talk about it in a sermon too, but we want to equip you to be able to answer the questions that people inevitably have. Well, today, we are answering a question about the purpose of life, and I have about 35 minutes to do it, so, you know, it should be a piece of cake. Um, but have you, ever asked, have you ever asked that question? Have you ever um, wondered, isn't there more to life than this? You know, people have always pondered the meaning of life. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, is that humans run on purpose the way cars run on gasoline. Okay, we need to have purpose in order to live a uh, satisfying life. When we have it, we enjoy life, and we can accomplish amazing things when we don't. Sometimes it feels like life is not even worth living, and we give in to despair. Now, unfortunately, we live in a society today with a, an abundance of activity, but a, sorted, a shortage of purpose. Innovation in technology and healthcare are growing at mind-boggling speed. We're wealthier than we've ever been. We have countless ways to entertain ourselves. We have more choices than we've ever had, and yet we are profoundly dissatisfied. There was an LA Times story that reported that from 1959 to 2013, uh, it says, driven by improvements in injury prevention, cancer treatments, and heart health, the life expectancy of Americans rose from 69.9 to 78.9 years. So it increased about 10 years in about a span of about 50 years. But in 2011, life expectancy suddenly plateaued, and then in 2013, for the first time in a very long time, it started to decrease. It uh, started to decline in 2013, and it has continued to decline to this day. And studies show that one of the primary factors in the decline is what are known as deaths of despair, specifically drug overdoses and suicides. Of course, those are extreme cases, but there are also other troubling signs of profound stress in our society. For instance, between 2009 and 2021, the percentage of American high schoolers that reported uh, persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness rose from 26 to 44%. 
Psychologists, sociologists, and other experts point to a number of possible factors, including the rise of social media, and we've talked about that before, an epidemic of loneliness, the perception that the world is getting worse because you hear all of the bad news from every source you could imagine, the breakdown of families and social institutions. But at the heart of our malaise is that we live in a society where there is no agreed-upon sense of purpose. Now, you may not be at a place where you are uh, feeling completely hopeless, but most likely you have asked that question before. Isn't there more to life than this? And of course, we're not the first people to ask this question. Go all the way back in Scripture. The book of Ecclesiastes is a long thought experiment centered on what happens when we only focus on things under the sun, things in this life. And the conclusion that the teacher comes to is that without God, everything is meaningless. Now, today, there are many ways that people deal with the question, is there more to life? Many secularists answer the question by simply saying, no, there really isn't more to life than this. But then even they disagree about what they should do about it. There are some, like the famous atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell, who said that this is just a sad reality that we have to accept. And so he lamented that everything that we do in life, from love to art to work, destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system, which leads to the unyielding despair of the soul. Kind of dramatic, isn't it? There are others like the philosopher Thomas Nagel, who is also an atheist, who says that we should just give up on the life, uh, give up on the idea that life should have meaning. Again, accept the reality that it doesn't, but we will be better off when we throw off the expectations of anything more than this. And when we do, then we're free to create whatever meaning we want in life. And it's the second path that's the most prominent in our society today. In fact, it's a core belief of secular society. It says that even if there is ultimate truth, even if there is a purpose for life, we can't really know it, and so all we can do is make the best of it. And since we know the need for purpose is hardwired into us, we should all be creating our own purpose. And so if you want to find meaning in your work, go for it. If you want to find it in sexual encounters, more power to you. If you find your purpose in your family, great. If you find it in religion, good for you. Just don't tell me that I have to believe it. See, it doesn't really matter what your purpose is as long as it works for you. Now, on the surface, this sounds really liberating. It sounds very freeing, and it plays well in our individualistic and autonomy-loving society because we're free to make whatever we want of the world, and we like that freedom. The problem is is that it doesn't work in the long run. It's like dropping people off in the middle of the desert and saying they're free to go wherever they'd like. Now, there are some people who will say, well, what makes life living is is just to enjoy the journey, that it's satisfying just that you're traveling along. And I think it's true for a while. Just going out for a drive to nowhere in particular can be really exciting, especially if it's new territory. It can be relaxing and enjoyable. We enjoy new experiences and adventures. But eventually, we all long for home. See, ultimately, create your own purpose doesn't work for a couple of different reasons. First, it doesn't work because it's based on a noble lie. Now, I'm not saying that people who think they can create their own purpose can't live or feel like they're living meaningful lives. You know, living for your family can feel really good when things are going well. 
And achieving goals like career success can be exhilarating, and it can keep you going for quite some time. But the problem is, is that in order to do that, you have to block out reality. You have to ignore the truth that one day you'll be gone, and one day your family will be gone, and everyone else that you know will be gone, and the world will move on without you. Or maybe if you look at the even bigger picture, like Bertrand Russell said, one day the sun will burn up and the universe will implode and everything will be gone. And when you think about it, you realize that your life is just a little blip in this vast universe. And it's really hard to think that your life has any significance then. You have to put that reality out of your mind and focus just on what is in front of you. But eventually, reality catches up. Well, the second problem is that when you find meaning in something in this world, it can easily be taken away from you. In other words, we don't even need to look a million years in the future. Because if you make your purpose your family or a romantic partner or your kids, what happens when you lose them? What happens if your kids don't turn out the way you planned? If you make career success your purpose, you'll constantly be looking over your shoulder at the new young employee who has eyes on your job, looking to move up the ladder faster than you. You see, when we create our own purpose, we can live satisfying lives as long as things are going well, but we really need to remember our purpose at the times when they're not going well. That's when we need it the most. Because creating a purpose that's limited to this world leaves us vulnerable to all of the realities of life. And if you haven't run into them yet, just wait a while, you will. You see, only a transcendent purpose that is greater than me and will outlast my life here, will allow me to handle adversity, suffering, and loss with grace. See, the question of what it means to live a good life actually depends on what we're here for. You can't know, for instance, if a watch is good unless you know what a watch is for. And the purpose of anything is defined by its creator. Well, the Bible tells us that we don't need to wonder about our purpose. And we don't create it. In fact, we don't even have to discover it because it's been revealed to us by our Creator. And it starts out right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis tells us, of course, that God is the Creator. That God stands outside of His creation but is intimately involved with it. He loves His creation and when He created it, He created it good. But it also tells us that the pinnacle of all creation is humanity. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now this is a key passage for understanding our purpose as human beings, that we are created in the image of God. But of course, what does this mean? And how does it give us purpose? Well, if you look at theologians, they'll tell you that it really means a couple of things. Okay, the first one is that it means that human life has incomparable worth. Okay, now we value the rest of creation. We value trees and animals. Some people, some of you really value your pets, okay? But, and I hate to say this, but if you have to choose between your pet and a human that you don't know, you choose the human every time. 
Why? Because there's something intrinsically valuable about a human life. C.S. Lewis writes in The Weight of Glory, he says, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Now, the modern world really has no real trouble with this. You hear it all the time in pop culture. You are beautiful. In fact, sometimes they'll even say, you are perfect. And there's a grain of truth in what they say. You, you're right. You know, they're right when they say that all human beings are valuable. And that's, that's biblical. But that's where we start to diverge from pop culture just a little bit. Because pop culture says that you are valuable because you are perfect just the way you are. Well, the Bible says that you are not perfect but you are valuable anyway because you are God's reflection. And that means that we all have a name and a standard to live, up, live into. And so you could say that our first purpose as human beings is to know and reflect God's character. The second thing that being made in the image of God means is that we have been given a responsibility. Here's verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Okay, the responsibility that we have uh, is there, there are really three things there. To fill the earth, to rule it, and to subdue it. Right? In other words, God has left us as humans in charge, but not to do with the world whatever we want. We are to carry on His work in his way. And so how exactly do we do that? Well, I think the three words get to the heart of it. The first one uh, is to fill the earth. And I won't spend a lot of time on this because I think this is pretty obvious what this means. And, and actually our congregation is doing a pretty good job of that right now. I think this is a, a strong point for us. But I do want to, but I want to focus on the other two. All right, to fill the earth to rule over the birds and the sea and the fish in, or birds of the air and the fish of the sea. Maybe the birds in the sea too, who knows. But to rule means that we have been given authority over the earth. Okay, we are God's, I've, I heard one theologian say, we are God's vice regents. Okay, the person who represents the one who's in charge. Okay, and so humans have the divine authority to be in charge of the world. But the third word is the one that I want to spend a little bit more time on because it's really subject to a lot of misunderstanding. It's the word subdue. Now, on the surface, subdue sounds like kind of a harsh word, sounds like a bad word because it, it sounds like to, to subjugate or oppress. Okay, but that's not actually what this biblical word means. Now, there is an, uh, uh, an element of limiting or imposing our will upon it. But I think the best way to say it would be that we are to order the world to bring about its flourishing. Okay, now think about it like a garden. Plants grow fine in the wild. Okay, if the whole world were untouched by human hands, there would still be vegetation. There would still be trees with fruit that we could eat. Uh, these are the raw materials of creation. But when people made the leap from being hunter-gatherers to being farmers, it was actually a game changer. Why? Because what do farmers do? Well, they take the raw materials of creation and they subdue them. That's the biblical word. 
Okay? We observe how tomato plants and wheat and corn grow best, and we impose order on them so that they will flourish. And so by doing things like understanding agriculture, uh, cultivation, fertilization, pruning, all of those things, we can create an environment where plants can grow far beyond what they could in the wild. Now, this is true of plants, it's true of animals, but it's also true of humanity. We organize ourselves into families and tribes and nations, and we organize ourselves to work together for the good of humanity. We invest in things like science. We create literature, art, dance, music to bring beauty and joy to the world. And this is all captured in that biblical word, subdue. Okay? So this is our God-given purpose. So when even secular people say that our job is to make the world a better place, yes, they're absolutely right. That's a part of it. That's our sacred responsibility. Okay, so if you want to talk in general terms, if you want to sum up what Genesis tells us about our purpose in life, here it is. Our purpose is to reflect God, our creator, and to work for the flourishing of creation. Now, I suppose this brings up the obvious question to, to us, what happened? Because it sure doesn't seem like humanity always does a very good job of this. In fact, if you look in the Bible, it doesn't even happen there. And why is that? Well, it's kind of a long story. also starts back in the book of Genesis. It goes back to the story of Adam and Eve. God created Adam and Eve in his image, and he gave them a purpose. But he also gave them free will, because free will is dignifying for someone who's made in the image of God. They had, no choice, or they had a choice where they could either receive God's provision and his purpose, or they could create their own. And they chose their own. Sound familiar? Genesis 3 tells us the story of the serpent who came to the humans and tempted them. And the dilemma is represented in two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, to eat from the tree of life is to recognize God's provision and purpose. It's to acknowledge God as our creator and our king, as the one who has the authority to command our lives. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil might be better called the tree of I'll decide for myself what's right and wrong. Or maybe today we could call it the tree of I'll create my own purpose in life. And God told them, eat all you want from the tree of life and it will satisfy you and it will sustain you. Now, you're able to eat from the other tree if you want, but don't do it because its fruit is poison for your soul. And for a while, they didn't have any trouble with this. They were satisfied knowing and trusting in God's provision and in his purpose. But then one day, the serpent came along and got them to question God's goodness. Genesis 3.1, the serpent says, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And eventually, Eve came around to it and said, No, we can eat from all of them except this one. He said, If we eat from this tree will die. And the serpent said, no, you won't die. God is a liar. God can't be trusted. The reason he told you that is because he wants to control you. He knows that when you eat that fruit, you will become just like him. In other words, when you decide to create your own purpose, to create your own standard of a good life without God's constraints, you become God's. And they ate. 
And of course, that was the first sin, and it unleashed a whirlwind. Now, you know what a whirlwind does. Have you ever been in a town that had a tornado go through it? I, I know you have, Neil, haven't you? It turns order into chaos. Okay, That's the biblical picture of what happens to the world when we create our own purpose. Now, we can blame Adam and Eve all we want, but the truth is we all tend to do this. And we can see the effects of it playing out in our own country. Just watch some political ads sometime, right? You're, anyone tired of those yet? I don't mute the TV very much, but I mute it during those ads. But we can see it playing out in our country because what we see is, is that there's very little that's holding our country together right now. We all have a different idea about what is best and our natural tendency is that what is best is what's best for me. I can be my own God. I can define purpose for myself. When Adam and Eve made the choice to go on their own, the image of God in them was marred. It's still there, but all of us as humans became damaged goods, like a ship with a leak or a car with engine problems. Try as we might, we just can't fix what's wrong with us. And because of that, we have a really hard time fulfilling our purpose. And that's why so many of us, I think, feel like we lack purpose today. Even if we know what our purpose is, we can't seem to follow through. So, what's the answer? Well, you probably can guess by the title of the series, it's Jesus, right? Jesus is the answer. Here's how the book of Colossians describes Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now notice how this passage brings us back to the creation story. Jesus is the image of God in a way that we fail to be. Jesus is the perfect reflection of God's character. When we look at Jesus, we see what God is like. When we look at Jesus, we see what we're supposed to be like. When we look at Jesus, we see what it looks like to bring about flourishing in the world. In Jesus, we have a tangible picture of our purpose. And so what do we see when we look at Jesus then? Well, we see that he did a couple of things. First, he devoted his life to the physical and spiritual flourishing of people. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He cast out demons. He invited the marginalized into community. He taught wisdom for living in his kingdom. He taught about righteousness and justice. And in many ways, his, his ministry was aimed at the flourishing of people. And that's great. And in fact, this plays really well in our modern society. This is what people love about Jesus. Okay, to care for people's lives here and now. And of course, this is an important part of our purpose as well. We're called to care for the poor, to give water to the thirsty, to clothe the naked and visit those in prison. But if our efforts to care for people's bodies is not accompanied also by care for their soul, then we run into the same problem as a secularist. Anything that we do in life is only going to be temporary. You see, we can't separate out Jesus' works of mercy and justice from him pointing to God, the Father. When he healed, he pointed people to their creator. When he fed people, he told them about the bread of life. When he cared for the poor, he warned them not to store up treasures on earth, but to store up treasures in heaven. 
He told the Samaritan woman that he had water to give so that she would never be thirsty again. And what we see in the ministry of Jesus is that he always kept two polar opposites or two tensions in perfect balance. Love for God, love for people. To know God and to make him known. Evangelism and social action. The glory of God and the good of people. He didn't choose between now and later because our responsibility covers both of those things. Purpose begins when we know our creator and out of that knowledge of our creator flows our responsibility to know him and to, to, to make him known and to care for the world. Okay. Well, this has been some pretty high-level stuff so far. And so in the last few minutes that we have today, I want to try to make it a little bit more practical. Because I know that there are many of you in this congregation, in this room today, watching online, who already believe all of this, right? This, this makes complete sense to you. But that doesn't mean that you know exactly how to work this out. Just because you know it on a theoretical level doesn't necessarily mean that you know how to live it day to day. And many of you have been taught that God has a perfect plan for your life and your job is to figure out exactly what that plan is. That's what I was taught, at least. In fact, there are a lot of people who stress out about finding God's perfect will for their life because they don't want to become a doctor if God planned on them becoming a pastor. Right? And so, oftentimes people become paralyzed by this, trying to decipher the code. Now, I don't doubt that there are times when God has a, a specific calling for like that for people. But I also believe that if that's the case, then God will make it abundantly clear. I think when God called Moses, there was a clarity there. When God called Abraham, there was a clarity there. Even if they didn't necessarily want the task that God had before them, I think he was clear with them. It's not like he sets up a puzzle that you have to decipher or you miss God's will, but he gives you gifts. And he gives you your unique place in the world and he gives you the wisdom to be able to figure it out. Well, the author, Oz Guinness, makes a helpful distinction between what he calls our primary purpose and our secondary purpose, or primary calling and secondary calling. Okay, he says that first and foremost, our primary calling is to someone, to God, not to something or to somewhere. Okay? Something like motherhood or politics or teaching or to somewhere like the inner city or Mongolia. Right? Our first calling is to God himself. And sometimes Christians can get so enthusiastic about doing things for God that we fail to seek God ourselves. If we don't know God, then we can't serve God. But it's out of that knowledge of God and his will where we find our secondary calling. And our secondary calling is how we work for the glory of God and the good of the world. In fact, our passage from Ephesians chapter 2, right at the end, highlights this pretty well. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. In other words, God reveals himself so that we can know him, so that we can have our sins forgiven and have the image of God restored in us, and that enables us then to be able to fulfill the purpose, the responsibility for which he's given us in this life. But that's not the end. Because Jesus' life and death and resurrection 
helps us to be able to fulfill this. Look at verse 10. He says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so, what good works has God prepared in advance for you to do? And how do you know them? Well, I think you can start just by asking yourself a few questions. What are the unique traits, gifts, and abilities that God has given me? What resources do I have that can accomplish his purpose? What is my current situation in life? Am I married or unmarried, poor, wealthy, young, old? You know, that changes over time, and I think your calling at any given time in life changes as well. And so think about your place in life. What opportunities or limitations does this provide for you? And then ask yourself the question, who are the people that God has placed in my path? And I think if you start to answer those questions, then you can start to understand a little bit more what your secondary purpose might be. See, just because we all have the same primary calling doesn't mean that we all have the same secondary calling. I don't think God pigeonholes us all together and tells us that we all have to do the same thing in the same way. And this is where our uniqueness can shine through. And so I would highly encourage you to take some time to answer some of these questions and say, what are the things that I've been living for? Am I living for myself? Am I trying to create my own purpose? Am I living aimlessly? Or how can I use the gifts and abilities and place in life, the job that he gave me, the family that I have, the resources that I have, to give glory to God and to work for the good of the world? Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that we don't have to wonder about our purpose. Thank you that you are a good God, that you make yourself known to us, and that through it, each of us have a reason for living. And God, I pray for all of those here in this congregation or who are watching, who are hearing my voice. God, I pray that more than anything, that we would seek you and, for, and your kingdom first, that we wouldn't allow the temporary things of life to distract us from our, from our first calling, from our first purpose, to know you. And God, as we seek you, I pray that you would make yourself known to us. But then, God, I pray that we wouldn't stop there. I, I pray that we would align our lives with you and your purpose. To, to work for those two things, for the flourishing of the world for the success of the people around us, but also that people might know their creator. God, give us the strength, give us the wisdom to be able to accomplish the task that you have given us in this lifetime. We thank you for, for your presence and for your help in that. And just pray for your continued blessing as we seek to live out our purpose. We pray this in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Wake Park Church Sermon Podcast. 
from Wake Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We hope this week's sermon helped you learn to know and love Jesus more and serve him in your unique place in the world. If you have feedback or questions, get in touch with us by emailing podcast at wakeparkchurch.org.